um, I'm noticing you using your speaking voice. I might have you use your yelling voice because that gets up to. <laughs> I'll just no, speak here. <laughs> and the other thing is, This is Ordinary Voices, inviting ordinary people into spiritual conversations about life and faith. I'm your host, Eric Elkin. This is a podcast to help me, a pastor, better understand people. I conduct interviews, then invite you into the conversation, so together we might find expressions of hope in daily life. Today's show is a little different. This is a show without a guest. Still, like every other show, I'm going to ask you to listen like a good camp counselor. Good camp counselors allow children to express themselves without judgment. They listen for what the camper is trying to say. People who listen tend to understand each other better, and we live in a world desperate for ears. So let's begin today's show. To all the beloved. I want to apologize to all listeners of Ordinary Voices. November has been a silent month. Recording issues screwed up my first interview and continued to be a problem for two other interviews. Then in the midst of trying to solve the recording crisis, a real crisis crashed down into my life. In the early morning hours of Wednesday, November 16th, I got a call from my sister-in-law. She called to tell me my 26-year-old nephew had taken his own life. In the blink of an eye, against our wishes and in conflict with all of our plans for Thanksgiving, our family entered a time of deep grief. Grief is more than a time, though. It's a season. A long Minnesota winter with no end in sight. Its pain is only subdued by a profound embrace of hope. A hope we tried to grasp through words, songs, and prayers. We know the season will change, but it is not now. I found personal comfort for my grief in the writings of Henry Nouwen, a Catholic priest who has written extensively about spirituality. One particular book by Nouwen, titled The Life of the Beloved, Spiritual Living in a Secular World, helped me find meaning. I read the book and wrote a series of reflections to process my own grief. Thoughts of Michael were present and raw as I wrote, but I didn't write or create this show for Michael. Instead, I was thinking of his cousins, and all the other young adults who have lost a friend to suicide or are coping with death. In the days since my nephew's death, three other suicides have touched my life. I was also thinking of young people navigating failure, unfulfilled expectations, or just struggling with daily life. So now, I'm trying to figure out how to speak to the generation of young people coping with death. I'm trying to figure out how to speak to the generation of young people who find church unfulfilling and removed from daily life. So in today's show, I speak to all the beloved because I desperately want you to find hope. While Henry Nowen was teaching at Yale Divinity School, he was interviewed by a young reporter for a newspaper article. The reporter appeared lost and uninspired by life. Eventually, it was Nowen interviewing the reporter about why this young man felt so lost. From that conversation, a lifelong friendship was born. 
One day, the young man asked Nowen to write a book on spirituality for people like him, a secular man who walked away from the faith of his childhood. He told Nowen, You have something to say, but you keep saying it to those who need to hear it the least. What about us? What about the young, ambitious, secular people wondering about life? Can you say something that would speak to us? Nowen's answer was the book, Life of the Beloved. For this show, I wrote separate reflections on six chapters in the book. To each section, I attached a scripture verse. Then I invited my nephew's cousins to read the title to each section, the verse I attached to it, and an excerpt from the book. I don't presume to know anything about the spiritual life of any of the cousins. The thoughts I share, I simply want them to know. These thoughts are not confined to our family. They're for all the beloved, religious, spiritual, or secular. I hope you find something meaningful in this show. You are my beloved. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17 And how can I breathe life into this verse so you can discover something meaningful? How do I convince you and Ben that you're beloved? The other Sunday, I baptized a little girl who was beautiful and full of wonder. When her mother placed her in my hands, she became nervous and frightened. She was unaware of the strange man that was holding her and what was going to take place. So I turned her over so she could see the water. Then I lowered her down just far enough so her hands could touch the water. Immediately she started to play with it, and her fascination with it took away her fear. Now that she was comfortable, she didn't mind me washing it over her head. Matter of fact, it unleashed a whole new level of curiosity about the world. When I brought her back up to my chest, she placed her hands in my face and started to play with my microphone. Little Ryan, child of God, had been transformed from apprehension and fear into a place of comfort and peace. Yet I found myself bothered by something from the baptism. As I went back and thought it over, did I tell Ryan she was beloved? When she came out of the water were the first words she heard, You are my beloved. In her baptism and in yours, we speak of promises, of new identity, of hope, of letting your light so shine before others that they may see, but I don't think I told her she was beloved. When my own children were baptized, I remember thinking, I just want them to know they're loved. Love was something I could provide. It never dawned on me how difficult it would be for them to know they are the beloved by God. To know God cannot speak their name without attaching to it these words, My Beloved. If you were to ask my children, I doubt they would even identify this need, but it is there in every breath of their existence. There are words of love a parent cannot provide. It needs to come from a community larger than a home. From the moment the baptismal gown is outgrown, children are judged and evaluated. How fast will they learn to walk, read, and do chores? How well can they learn to throw a ball, play a trumpet, dance, or sing? When they've learned these skills, they'll be placed in competition with their friends. And you know the pain of this judgment, and I imagine Ben has experienced it as well. 
The older we get, the more difficult it becomes to hear words of love, especially words like God telling you, you are my beloved. These words find competition with words of destruction, words like you're ugly, you're no good, you can't do much, why should I even talk to you? Words of destruction lead to self-rejection. If we're honest with ourselves, we know how long, deep, dark this battle can be and how much this battle consumes us. And the days I spent in the house of your youth was a house full of broken souls, including my own. In the midst of the brokenness, love between friends, family, and even strangers overflowed. Still, there was a hungering for all of us to hear one thing. In the face of this tragedy, are we beloved by God? Today, I want you and Ben to know you are beloved by God. And if you doubt it, remember these words from Henry Nowen. We are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That is the truth of our lives. That is the truth I want you to claim for yourself. That's the truth spoken by the voice that says, You are my beloved. Becoming. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Peter, you are my son, and I'm trying to be silent about the decisions you make now. It's your time to be an adult to figure out for yourself why the things of our house are important. When I was a child, I had a Sunday morning routine. It began with Popeye cartoons and cereal. Then I would get dressed and watch Davy and Goliath until it was time to leave for church. The last step in the routine was really tricky. Before my parents summoned us to leave, my brother and I would hide so we wouldn't have to go to church. We couldn't hide too early because we'd be missed, searched for, and found long before it was time to go. If we waited too long, then there was no chance to hide. I remember hiding in closets, hampers, and underneath beds, thinking this would be the day they would forget us and we'd get to stay home. It was a silly exercise. The house was very small and there was absolutely no chance of success. I didn't want to go to church. I never wanted to go to confirmation. I was angry with my parents when they forced me to attend the stupid church camp instead of the YMCA camp I loved. My desire to hide from church remained with me during college. Except in college, I didn't have to hide. All I needed to sleep in. So how is it now that I am a pastor? A person who cannot live without worship? Who would rather worship seven days a week than miss one? I've been searching for the answer to this question as I watch you and your cousins grow up. I listen to your frustrations and I hear my own the absolute boredom with church, and the inability to be moved by anything taking place within it. It's a struggle not confined to you and your cousins. Peter, you are beloved by God. It's your origin. It's your beginning. However, this truth is also a process, a journey of becoming the beloved. On one of the pages of my copy of Nowen's book, I made a note questioning if this were true. Do we become, or are we already? 
as I mourned Michael's death, I began to understand something of my own journey. I had always associated the awakening to my faith with a particular summer spent in New York. Now as I look back, it was just one destination and a longer journey. That summer, I discovered my gifts, the gift I possessed for working with difficult children, but not my faith. My faith was grounded in the awakening to what it means to be the beloved by God. If it had been that one summer, I may have found delight in working with children in any setting, but it was tied to a Christian community life, a Bible study, the discipline of daily worship, and ultimately making a connection between the words in a book and the everyday fabric of life. This is what led me to discover what it means to be the beloved. If you feel empty and your soul is craving something of death, it may be your spirit calling you out to discover its origin. Perhaps the point of re-engaging your origin may be reading a daily reflection, actually reading the Bible, or prayer, or listening to a podcast. Then allow it to inform the pulse of your life. When the truth that you are the beloved informs the invisible, tangible ways of your life, you will find peace. As a child, Peter, you always followed the rules. This spilled over into your faith life. You went to church because it was following the rules. But I want you to do something different now. I want you to attend for another reason. Because it's part of your desire to become who you truly are. The beloved of God. Becoming the beloved means letting the truth of our belovedness become enfleshed in everything we think, say, or do. As long as being the beloved is little more than a beautiful thought or lofty idea that hangs above my life to keep me from becoming depressed, nothing really changes. What is required is to become the beloved in the commonplaces of my daily existence. Pulling the truth revealed to me from above down into the ordinariness of what I am. Chosen. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Allison and Jason, thank you for reading. You are parents on two different ends of the parenting scale. Jason, your little girl, is just discovering life. She's amazed by every little detail. Allison, you have celebrated your daughter's wedding. Your other daughters are moving through the challenging years of high school and college. You both know something about the journey my niece, Rachel, and her husband, Jeremy, will soon begin as they prepare to give birth to their first child. So let me now speak to you of being chosen to be holy and blameless. When LeBron James was a junior in high school, he was put on the cover of Sports Illustrated under the heading, The Chosen One. At the age of 17, a writer at Sports Illustrated decided to put LeBron James on par with Michael Jordan, the greatest and most popular basketball player of all time. Ever since that Sports Illustrated edition, LeBron James has been battling to justify the label. If his career had faltered for any reason, injury, lack of ability, media hyperbole, 
the label would have been replaced with the failed one. Even when he is successful, the question remains, is he worthy of the title? Is he worthy to be compared to MJ? It is a perfect example of what the world means by chosen. And one of the reasons it is so hard for us to understand what it means to be chosen in Christ. To be chosen in the world is to be set apart. doesn't need a Sports Illustrated cover to announce it. We ask our children to choose good friends, to make good choices, and to choose good careers. Every one of those propositions involves a negative. There are children we don't want you to play with. There are choices we don't want you to make. And there are careers that are not good. Despite our best intentions as adults and as parents, our children will live with the understanding there is a potential of being unloved. It might not be realistic, but it is there. 30 years of working with children, youth, and families, I've come to understand one thing. Parents don't realize the influence they have over their own children. We only think of being unheard and not how much we are heard. Our children will spend their lives to have confirmation they are chosen. The people of Israel were chosen and set apart, but it is different with Jesus. He broadens the word chosen beyond everyone's comfort zone. Jesus broke down barriers to show there was no such thing as Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, saint and sinner. There is no such thing as unchosen. The one thing Jesus came to proclaim is the one thing Christians throughout all time often fail to realize. When someone is chosen in Christ, it doesn't mean someone else is rejected or excluded. To Christ, chosen speaks to a spiritual mystery which brings about profound life. You are chosen in Christ before the very foundations of the earth. Your adult life is not about you choosing to follow Jesus, but embracing the truth of your identity. Before you were born, before the very foundations of the earth, God called you the chosen one. We said the same thing to all your siblings, neighbors, and strangers in and around your life. Allison, Jason, Jeremy, and Rachel, as parents, help your children to live healthy lives. Help them to see how to live as a chosen one in Christ. To this end, Nowen provides three steps for this type of living. You have to keep unmasking the world around you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and, in the long run, destructive. The world tells you many lies about who you are, and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, These feelings, as strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting embrace. You have to keep looking for people and places where truth is spoken and where you are reminded of your deepest identity as the chosen one. The limited, sometimes broken, love of those who share our humanity can often point us to the truth of who we are, precious in God's eyes. You have to celebrate your chosenness constantly. This means saying thank you to God for having chosen you, and thank you to all who remind you of your chosenness. Gratitude is the most fruitful way of deepening your consciousness that you are not an accident, but a divine choice. A 
I want to thank you for taking time to listen to the show. Ordinary Voices is a place for people searching for spiritual meaning in daily life. I hope by inviting you into the lives of ordinary people, we might find some of our own struggles in these stories. Then in reflection upon them, find hope in life. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. People are hungry for a spiritual conversation and in deep need of hope. Your sharing might be opening a door for someone to discover exactly what they need. Go to the website, OrdinaryVoices.org. That's OrdinaryVoices.org to find some other shows and to sign up for the daily devotions. The podcast is also available on every podcast provider, from iTunes to Stitcher to SoundCloud and more. This is a listener-supported show. If you enjoy it, please consider financially supporting it by clicking the Donate button on the website, OrdinaryVoices.org. Thank you again for listening. Now let's rejoin our show. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Ellen, you have journeyed against your will to the place of spiritual poverty and mourning. You know all too well the pain of losing a friend and a grandparent and now a cousin. You have learned this at all too young of an age. Still, when I think of you, I wonder what you will learn from it all. I always pray you find strength from it. It will be interesting when your sister Emily returns from Ecuador to hear what she has learned from living in poverty. My guess is she will come home with a more compassionate heart. So, Ellen, let me tell you of the blessings which flow from poverty. One of my favorite places to worship was St. Paul Lutheran Church in Clinton, Iowa. The experience was made special by the members of the Larsh community who worshiped there. Larsh communities provide homes and workplaces for people with intellectual disabilities. The first time I preached at St. Paul, I remember thinking how important it would be for me to extend my love to the Larsh community members. It would help them feel included. It was a gesture, though, of power and control. As a person of sound mind and physical health, I needed to show them they were on par with me. Over the years, I discovered I was the wounded one. Despite being faithful in my worship practice, rarely do I leave the burdens of my week behind. They always influence the spirit of my sermons, prayers, and presence in worship. Yet every time the residents of the Larsh community came into church, they radiated joy. Several of the community members would wave at me during announcements, and not a small subtle wave, but a big demonstrative wave with both arms up in the air. I'm not sure I've ever been in a place where people felt that good about seeing me. I was being blessed by those whom I was supposed to comfort. In the early morning darkness following Michael's death, I found grief continuing to push me into the words of Henry Nouwen. He helps me discover how the mood swings between hopelessness and hope, darkness and light, abandonment and love can actually be a gift. Nouwen uses the Latin word for blessing, benediction, to describe his understanding of the word. It simply means to speak well of someone. We need to hear someone speak good things about us. In his book, Life of the Beloved, he wrote, No one is brought to life through curses, gossip, accusations, or blaming. There is so much of that taking place around us all the time. And it calls forth only darkness, destruction, and death. As the beloved ones, we can walk through this world offering blessings, 
It doesn't require much effort. It flows naturally from our hearts. Wednesday at your Aunt Kathy's house was a day of unspeakable grief, but now one's observations came to life. Kathy, who was in the deepest pit of despair over the death of her son, blessed everyone who walked into her house in presence. She took them in her arms and sobbed and would say things like, You were so good to him, and you were such a dear friend, and you loved him so much. The ones who came to provide comfort were blessed. It flowed naturally from her wounded heart. At no point in my life have the words of the Beatitudes been so full of life and meaning. Ellen and Emily remember that no one is brought to life by evil words. Speak well of those around you. Speak well of those who mourn, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Speak well for all the poor in spirit in your life, so that they might know the kingdom of heaven as well. Broken. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 8-9 Britta, you are one of the most gifted people I ever met. So many things come naturally to you, yet you could never see it. You always judge yourself by a perfect and unrealistic standard. It prevented you from seeing just how talented and beautiful you really are. I want to speak to you about the joy of being broken. It will help you live a healthy life. In order to enter seminary, students needed to take a battery of psychological tests and to be interviewed by mental health professionals. The results of these tests and interviews are then reviewed by a candidacy committee who makes a final determination of your ability to continue in the process. When I went through the process, I found it a blessing to spend two hours with a therapist. We talked about my being broken. The last couple of years at my job had been the most difficult years of my life. He helped me gain some perspective, which allowed me to process those difficult years and put them in a healthy place. The worst part of the experience was receiving the results of my test. I had scored extremely high on the IQ test, but in other areas couldn't answer some very basic questions. The conflict between the two results suggested attention deficit disorder. For this part, I met with a social worker. She looked at my results and determined it definitely was ADD, just like her five-year-old son, an assessment she repeated often. Our meeting concluded just minutes before my test results were to be reviewed before this big candidacy committee, so we were going to publicly discuss a diagnosis I had five minutes to digest. Thankfully, the therapist who had interviewed me at length caught me in the hallway. He told me he didn't agree with the social worker. He felt the conflicted work environment was influencing my test results. He would recommend the committee study my seminary grades. They would reveal the truth of my condition. Midway through the process, though, with the candidacy committee, I was asked to respond to the ADD diagnosis. My response was, so what? If I am, I am. What am I going to do about it? I'm not going to stop living. I finished seminary with a grade point average just below 4.0. It put to rest any thought of my being ADD. However, it changed my life. I was extremely hyperactive and still am. 
hyperactive children live in a constant state of fear. They know their actions will produce negative consequences, but they can do nothing to stop them. None of their actions are subtle. They're exaggerated in public, which opens them up to even more criticism. Working with hyperactive children as adults, I just realized how much the adult world cannot handle us. One thing that saved me through it all, from a very early age, I liked myself, and I knew I was lovable, even if other people didn't always see it that way. My most important character strength, one I think you should own as well, is I've always accepted my brokenness. It has made me more compassionate with other broken people. The Christian faith is like a 12-step program. They are both a model for a healthy life. The truth that Nowen speaks of in his book is this, we are broken, each in our own unique way. Don't hide from it, but own it. It's a truth addicts live with every day. They must confess and own the things they are broken by. Owning the brokenness is the first step to being healthy. Continuing to claim it helps them remain healthy. Sure, it sets them apart, but they cannot live without giving in to their brokenness. Reflecting on this point reminds me of the people I've known who've discovered they have diabetes. Some have never accepted the diagnosis. They try to behave as if it didn't exist. Their denial literally can destroy their bodies. Don't mess around trying to be perfect or go through the painful experience of hiding your flaws. You are who you are. Hating yourself is not going to make you better. Accepting your faults, owning them, and confessing them opens them up to being healed. Broken people make the best friends. Their ears are the most gracious to speak to. Their hearts are the most compassionate. They know what it means to be broken and to still be loved. Broken people are more apt to know they are the beloved. My own experience with anguish has been that facing it and living it through is the way of healing. But I cannot do that on my own. I need someone to keep me standing in it, to assure me that there is peace beyond the anguish, life beyond death, and love beyond fear. But I know now, at least, that attempting to avoid, repress, or escape the pain is like cutting off a limb that could have been healed with proper attention. The deep truth is that our human suffering need not be an obstacle to the joy and peace we so desire, but can become, instead, the means to it. Given. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Luke 9, 24 Over the years, my most often repeated sermon illustration is my own complete lack of talent for youth ministry. While it is something I joke about now, there was a time it caused me great pain. It is everyone's natural reaction to shut down my self-criticism, but it's not that negative to me. It was actually a great spiritual awakening. Following my summer as a camp counselor, I decided to pursue a career working with children. At first, this was in the YMCA, but I found it lacked the spiritual depth I craved. Moving into the world of church youth ministry required a whole different skill set. Youth ministers played guitar, knew every song ever written, and were tremendous song leaders. 
These were talents I did not possess. Worse than not playing guitar, I couldn't remember the words to Kumbaya. I had no idea how to find the right note to start a song, and it's actually pretty comical to watch me try to do hand gestures while singing. The lack of these talents closed a lot of doors to potential positions. Ultimately, I found a place desperate enough to overlook my talent deficiencies. However, there is where I discovered my gifts. It helped me to see gifts as the more spiritual, enduring quality. People with great talent are special and deservedly should be celebrated. However, talents can blind people to their gifts, and this is true among both the talented and untalented people. Playing a guitar is really, really cool. Matter of fact, I think it's one of the most universally attractive qualities. But in terms of happiness, nothing provides greater happiness than giving of yourself. Giving of yourself is a gift, not a talent. You don't have to work at a church to give of yourself. Giving of yourself is essential for a healthy relationship. It is vital to building great friendships. More importantly, it is the gift most desired by the lost souls of the world to discover someone who cares enough about them to give of themselves. And in this kind of giving, we discover great joy ourselves. Maria, you are an extremely talented young woman, from belly dancing to working in food co-ops, to painting, printing, riding your bike, and wearing designer used clothing. You've always charted your own course, and I hope you continue to do so. You've also found great joy living in the light of your talents. I hope that continues as well, to push yourself to grow in your artwork. But my deepest hope for you, and for all the cousins, is discover great joy in life. I feel this will always be elusive for those who cannot give of themselves. For when we give is when we fully discover the truth of our own belovedness. It is sad to see that in our highly competitive and greedy world, we have lost touch with the joy of giving. We often live as if our happiness depended on having. But I don't know anyone who is really happy because of what he or she has. True joy, happiness, and inner peace come from the giving of ourselves to others. A happy life is a life for others. In a previous show, when I interviewed Margie, a psychotherapist, she expressed the concern of mental health professionals over the epidemic of suicides their frequency, and the young age of the victims. Suicide is often the result of depression or some other mental health issue. These are diseases, not choices. There was something oddly comforting about this with Michael's death. To me, the young man who took his life was not the vibrant, beautiful young man who filled my life with joy. I couldn't be mad at him no more than I could be mad at someone dying for cancer. Still, We need to start pulling suicide out of the darkness and shine a light on it. We need to start exploring ways to fight this horrible problem. I don't want to suggest prayer can cure suicide. The answer is much more complicated than that. However, I desperately want to reach people about the importance of a spiritual life. I listen to people talk to me about everything unfulfilling about religion. I get it. I really do but I want to know how you are taking care of yourself spiritually. Where are you going to find what you need? 
You know where to go for physical health to improve your physique. You know where to go to improve your mind. But what about your spiritual health? People say they have places. I'm just not convinced you see the need. This is not to criticize what you are doing. I just want to know how I can help. People who find spiritual health find peace. And people who find peace discover hope. Until I find an answer to these questions, I will continue to invite all the beloved coping with death, to invite all the beloved struggling for meaning and purpose, or desperately seeking to find peace in the world and in their own heart. I will invite all the beloved to consider living spiritually in this world, to explore the life that cannot be destroyed, to discover that eternal life is not some great reward at the end of life, but the fullness of this life we've been gifted. Until then, may your heart and your home discover the joy of hope. That's our show for today. I want to thank the cousins for allowing me to record their voices without any idea what they were getting into. I want to thank you for listening and ask for your prayers. Pray for our family this Christmas. Pray for all families who struggle to cope with the pain of loss. Pray that our tears will be wiped away and our joy restored. Please join me in a couple of weeks for our Christmas show. Until then, help me invite more people into this conversation. Please share the show or share the daily devotions. Check out the website, OrdinaryVoices.org, OrdinaryVoices.org, and consider donating to this listener-supported show. On behalf of all Ordinary Voices, thanks again for listening.